Welcome, welcome, welcome to our final episode of our Potshot preseason episodes or pods. Um, today I'm joined by Lorcan. Lorcan, what are we going to do today? Um, yeah, so I guess we're going to review the, what was it, four preseason games, um, make note of some of the common themes, review performances, um, loosely project how it might be going into next season. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, in case I didn't introduce him properly, this is Lorcan who's been on the pod a couple times and I will be hosting this episode. Um, so yeah, actually Lorcan is the one who's done most of the work in terms of preparing a doc for us today. And he started us off with a nice sort of icebreaker question to get us going. So Lorcan, what was that? Yeah, so um, I guess if you could pick one ex-Arsenal player to slot into the current team, um, who would it be? And I guess, you know, take that however you want to in terms of personal attachments, tactical considerations, etc. Sure. Okay. Um, in terms of personal attachments, I think immediately I just think of Wobi in the left eight. But that's because I've just wanted to see him there for us forever. But when you first posed this question to me, first I had a player in mind, but then I was like, obviously it should actually be, the answer should be someone like Thierry Henry or maybe maybe Vieira. But Cthulhu is actually the one who came to mind. Maybe it's because we've been seeing a certain like number 19 roaming around in midfield in this preseason. But I, I would just love to see him here. I'm not sure he would necessarily be the highest value addition, but I think he'd be a lot of fun. He, he would add that same sort of, omnidirectionality that Trossard has added to midfield, which I think we'll get into. And yourself? Um, for me, this was an, an excuse to mention Abu Dhabi again. Um, some of it was tactical consideration. Some of it was personal attachment. But I'd love to see um, him as, I was going to say the left eight, but as as I guess we'll touch on, as a left eight um, in the system or next to, just next to Rice. I can see that. I can see that. I was actually thinking Vieira, if we were still on our sort of Raisedo, you know, buzz, yeah, exactly. which we were a couple of episodes ago, um, he would have been a nice addition. But I'm glad you added Abu Dhabi. We had some besmirching of his name on a recent pod, so I think it's a good way to, to balance it out and bring... Yeah, I heard you know, that. Bring... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam Oliver will not be invited back. All right, let's get into the preseason games, of which... There've been four. We won't be, this pod should be coming out before the Monaco game, but we won't be speaking about it because it's in the future for us right now. Um, but yeah, Lorcan, can you just kind of take us through maybe the overview of what we've really seen in the game so far? And keeping in mind that, as Lorcan said earlier, this is all projections. This is all like potentialities. It's nothing set in stone, but just there is something. I think there's value in preseason games or what we can can take out of it. And yeah, what we're going to go through. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, there were, firstly, it kind of goes without saying, but it's still worth pointing out. There were loads of um, rotations in terms of minutes shared. Uh, that's to get people up to speed and to try different combinations, um, forge connections as such. Um, a lot of experimentation. Um, there are a lot of different things out of possession in possession we saw across the four games, which was part of the reason why it was quite chaotic to plan this this podcast and, and draw <laughs> upon common themes. Um, that being said, I think a common theme was um, not having Zinchenko and building differently as a result. And and then lastly, I think, I mean, I was just thinking right before the podcast, like what 
really were the common themes. And I think individual errors leading to goals was one we didn't really talk about it um, when we were planning the pod. But I, well, I think it was like five of the six goals were directly attributable to individual errors. So, yeah. <laughs> In a way, that's reassuring. As long as they're happening now, <laughs> rather than yeah. rather than when the season starts. Although I think we will get into, but I think one or two of those individual errors still come from yeah, definitely the tactic, the yeah, the situations the players find themselves in. Um, but yeah, you spoke about a big change in terms of what we're seeing in preseason now, rather compared to last season, being the absence of Zinchenko. And I think we can start right at the Nuremberg game. You actually wrote an article about Kivio's role in that game. Um, and how he inverted, but in a different way. Can you take us through that? Yeah, so I think um, there's definitely a tendency to talk about like inverted fullbacks and in some of the more superficial ways you might think, okay, we used Kivio in the same way that we used Inchenko because we used a left-back inverting to be what's essentially a midfielder. Um, but I guess the point of the article was kind of to highlight the dissimilarities between um, using Kivior in that role, as it were, compared to Zinchenko. Um, and I think the upshot is getting a player... I called the article the pendulum pivot, which is basically one pivot pinning the middle um, while the other sort of dropped out of the opposition block to face play with the ball. Um, and I think that's kind of how we used Kivior Um Last season, a lot of the time we had normally Partey and Zinchenko as the sort of double pivot receiving off the th- three centre-backs um, as we were building and both of them had their back face to um, the opposition goal and we rarely saw that in this iteration where it was normally Kivior um, dropping to face play and sometimes also Partey. So just for the sake of our listenership, um, what do you mean by pinning? Yeah, so by pinning, I mean essentially occupying and somewhat staying still um, in a particular zone with the idea of manipulating the the positioning of um, the opposition, or the, yeah, the one of or several opposition players and therefore the opposition block. Um, so that essentially by standing still, you can generate a superiority elsewhere. Um, often when there's a lot of movement um, and no one's pinning, um, some of that movement is like superfluous. You can't generate some of the same superiorities. Um, and I think a lot of the benefits of having two players that can receive back to goal in those really congested zones off of the centre-backs is the pressure that they invite and then their ability to pass back to the centre-backs or, or find another player further forward between the lines. Um, is only possible because they can essentially stand still there. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons, obviously, why, or at least I'd assume why we're not playing Kivior, you know, as a as a pivot inside the block is because he can't really receive on the turn like that, or at least not not anything that we've watched from him. And I think this sort of backs up that idea, right? Because we probably would have seen it this preseason, at least tested if he could. Do you think there's any other reasons why we're actually trying, we're having him outside the block? You kind of called it like a quarterback role. Mm. What kind of benefits that does that actually bring? Or is it just a compromise that we're making because he can't receive inside the block? Yeah, I think that's the main one. And it comes back to the main point of sort of what are tactics and it's profiling players correctly and doing things 
on a micro and macro scale that can get those players in the positions to do those things well and also forestall circumstances that highlight their weaknesses. So putting Kivior in that Zinchenko role, as it were, just a like-for-like, um, would make him look worse. And I think there were even several instances when I saw him play across the four games where he had these moments where he just lost the ball for no reason, um, which I think we would have seen more, for example, if he was doing that Zinchenko role. Um, so that's, yeah, as you touched upon. And also I think now we'll sort of touch more upon this, but we have players such as Rice, um, such as Timber, Kivior, who are better in those areas in the first and in, in the first phase when they're facing play. Um, and that's one way of achieving it. So you think this is something we're probably going to see more of given the profiles that we've brought in? I mean, there's also no really, no reason to think that Timber can receive inside the block like Zinchenko would be able to. Obviously, Zinchenko's a midfielder by trade. Um, and not everyone is John Stones. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm interested in terms of how this is going to change our dynamics. Specifically, because I think what we've kind of spoken about a little bit is that instead of actually having these like pinning sort of principles, suddenly it, it all becomes like this sort of interpretive, like passing in, seeing what's happening, seeing what movement they can take advantage of um, and like problem solving, as you kind of put it in the dock. So it's going to be interesting to see. And I think it's something that has actually borne out across the four games. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there was, it's probably a good time to um, name drop. I think it was the Athletic article which talked about, um, our, among other things, but our build-up last season. And one of the things that, like, I can't remember who wrote it, um, but one of the things that was said was we, a lot of the times when we had a full, fully fit squad, the opposition knew what we were doing by inverting Zinchenko and building that way, but couldn't stop it. And this way, it's, well, what do you do without Zinchenko? And I think Arteta's got a build-up unit and defensive unit where the cohort is such that you we're doing different things compared to, you know, just inverting a defender. Um, and it gives you license to sort of problem-solve, um, to have a much more, as you said, fluid build-up unit. It's funny because I guess it goes from they know what we're going to do, but they can't stop it to us now having so many combinations in terms of what our back four has looked like. I mean, across the four games so far, but it seems a lot more stoppable, at least at least in preseason. Um, I mean, we can also probably speak that it's not just been having that sort of different kind of inverting role from Kivior, but when we've seen um, Kieran Tierney, who's actually probably played the most out of any of the left backs, Played there as well as Tomiyasu and Timbo were both right-footed. They've both played similar sort of wide roles. Obviously, I think with what we've seen from Tomiyasu, I was quite impressed with, or impressed by, and Timbo is that they kind of do this underlapping thing, but they still hold quite a lot of width. And then Kieran Tierney, obviously, left foot on the left side, plays sort of the role he, you know, he joined Arsenal for in the first place, rather than the inverting role that he was trying to replicate um, of Zinchenko's last season. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And we, we've seen so many pivot partnerships over the course of four games and loads of substitutions and stuff. It's, and I think it, it, it really does depend on who is in the pivot um, in terms of what we'll do. Um, 
even as we draw a distinction between what Kivior did in the pivot versus what Zinchenko did last season, there's similar thought, you know, the differences between Kivior playing left back and sometimes inverting the pivot and say like Tommy Asu or Timber. Yeah, I think what we saw from Tommy Asu and Timber is that they actually came infield later, kind of yeah. as you would call it, the second phase, and that's where they started driving inwards, but they held with Early, whereas what we had with Kivior in the first game is Gabriel starts really wide in the first place. Kivior's sort of sitting either, you know, they kind of move between the two of them, either on the inside or outside. One of them holding with right from the beginning. Um, and it's generally Kivior more on the inside. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's changed the dynamics. The one thing I actually don't like though that we have seen is obviously the other side we have Timber, who's a new signing and he's sort of been the one pegged to kind of do the inverting role from the right. Um, but and he did do that against I think United was the first game we saw him do that against. Yeah. Yeah, at least at least prominently so. Um and what I didn't like is that it kind of shifts the rest of our backline and it has affected our other sort of the key the key two players maybe of our backline last season were Gabriel and Saliba. Gabriel in terms of consistency of of play. I mean he was the consistent figure throughout, and then Saliba, I think, our most important player. But it's shifted the roles for both of them, at least in, in the games we've seen, where Timber inverts because it puts Saliba more out on the right. And it's interesting, his role, you kind of see the Saliba that you saw maybe at times for Saint-Étienne when he first came through, that sort of dribbly or press-resistant, um, slightly more provocative centre-back. Um, definitely at, at Nice when he went on loan there. Um, compared to the the specialised sweeper that he was at... At Marseille, and obviously was so important for us last season and so important to what we did. Um, I think it's it's fun seeing Saliba back in that role, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily the best, um, especially since I think he's always better kind of resisting pressure than provoking it and then going around. And yeah. then for Gabriel, yeah, Gabriel's where I have the bigger issues because as a result, everyone shuffles across. We're moving him into sort of, not quite, but a central centre-back role where he has space to kind of defend on both sides and is the deepest of the centre-backs. And I think we can even say, you know, it was just an individual error, but I think he is quite uncomfortable in those central zones. And we saw that with the mistake he made that led to the United goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it, it's really interesting. We have, you might say, uh, even a, a bloated squad, but we have so many players and so many defenders to pick from. Um so it'll be interesting to think about who play, who else plays when when Timber's playing, who else plays when Tierney's playing, because um, these decisions necessarily have a chain reaction. Um, and I think that's a good one that you, you... I wasn't looking at it specifically in the game or looking for it, but that's a good one to talk about, I think, because, yeah, Gabriel's the... As the if Gabriel does play at the same time as Timber and Timber plays right back. Again, we might use Timber as a centre-back, who knows. But um, then Gabriel is the central centre-back in, in rest defence, which is not really where you want him. You kind of want him as that left-channel defender pushing out. Um, and yeah, we could be having this conversation with loads of other players, I think. Um, we'll see a lot of different combinations. So yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's one that slightly concerns me because I think it's it's basically leading to suboptimal usage of our main two centre-backs. 
I, I think Saliba is, you want him as that sweeper. Um, and we don't actually have a backup for him as a sweeper, but I think in a way we're no longer using him as a sweeper either. And then for Gabriel, we're putting him in positions where I at least think we could see him struggle a bit more. And I, I would, I would expect that if, that if we have, um, Timber on the right, then we would see maybe either Saliba starting at left center back. Yeah, I was just going to say what we could just do white, right center back, Saliba, left center back. And then it's interesting because then you get into conversations about, okay, how does that impact the build up not having a left footed left center back? Um, funnily enough, I actually think that Timber's the next best option for sweeping. Um, just in terms of the limited that I've seen of his IX games. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember that was my main sort of question when we were linked with him is, I know he has the recovery pace, but does he have that sort of ability to defend on the retreat, not jump in too early? I know a lot of people think White, and he has improved a lot on the retreat, but I'm still never that convinced by him. Um, yeah, his his strengths lie in being a front-footed defender and reading situations. Absolutely. But yeah, there's so many different combinations that <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see kind of what we go for. I'm not even sure how we're going to who's going to be the starting team versus City, who's going to be the starting team versus Forest at all across the back. Whereas last season, it was always pretty obvious as Gabriel, Saliba when he was available, White, sometimes Tommy Yasu, and then the left, Sinchenko when he was available. Maybe we should move forward though. There's also, already was a lot last season, but maybe even more so as we're seeing that versatility in the front five. Um, and I think if we go back to Nuremberg game, um, that started with Trossard actually playing the left eight role, and we alluded to him earlier. What did you actually make of him in possession? In so in the Nuremberg game, um, I I watched the full game and only watched the first half back. I think I think some yeah somewhat of a byproduct of how we use Kivio and, and the 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 backline in general was Trossard shuttling out to sort of almost like a, a, a fake winger role and receiving on the touchline, which is which makes sense um, to play around the first line of pressure and, and, and retain the ball. I think you have to be careful with that just in that it's, if it becomes too much of a repeatable action, I, I, I don't think we saw enough central incision um, finding plays between the lines. Some of that was not having Zinchenko. Um, but tr- yeah, t- sorry, to, to answer your question better, I think Trossard, and across the four games, performed really well as that left eight, and he's comfortable in those zones. Uh, we've already talked about before about how omnidirectional he is as a player. Um, it seemed to me in watching some of the games back as well, some of the games back as well, that we use him almost as Similar to how we use Shaka in terms of we, we trusted his interpretation of game situations and when to drop. Um, there were a couple of times where he received in the pivot and just seamlessly turned out of pressure, which we can't, we don't really see, um, in the squad other than Zinchenko. So yeah, I, he continues to surprise me. Um, I was reticent, um, to fully you know, be happy about us signing him in January, but he's, yeah, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the same. I think I have to accept defeat a bit on, on Trossard because even after we'd signed him and I think people were quite happy at first, I was still not that convinced by him out wide just because he, as, you know, secure in possession as he is, which is obviously important. And I think 
that, that is obviously important, but he just couldn't really create the separation or offer the outlet that I think you kind of need from our wingers yeah. to kind of not only hold width, but then be dangerous from those wide positions. Um, but I think he's a completely different player for me, and I, I'm kind of almost quickly falling in love with him in the middle because he does have that, as, as we spoke about that, that omnidirectionality that just makes it so hard to kind of contain him at certain angles because he's always going to find a way out or be able to manipulate and then access the angle that he wants. And then also, yeah, he's he's very much a, a pocket player in terms of, I think the way the team is looking more and more is we do vacate the middle a lot and he can, someone who can drop in, receive it, connect and then move up again. And that's yeah. really what I think Arteta is trying to achieve or what we've been seeing him trying to achieve over these games and even even last season towards the yeah. end. Yeah, he's like a get-out-of-jail-for-free card sometimes um, in those situations where we vacate the middle. And I think as well, there's loads of... Again, we could play loads of different systems. I think we will um, in the forthcoming season. But I think... So there are several demands that our left eight will have. And we've... It's been a popular topic on the timeline with Shaka leaving and stuff. But I think one thing that he does really well is when we are in the final third and he's there and he's sort of given the license to roam on the edge of the box. He's really dangerous. Um, like he can connect. Um, he can be that relay player to connect to the other side. Um, he's really good in the box himself. He's really secure with the ball. Um, so I think those are some game environments where he's he's really cool to play as, as an interior. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things with Arteta is it's very much about like the skill sets that players can offer. So it's not that much of a surprise anymore to see him playing a midfield role because of the security he has and the ability to kind of retain possession and territory high, which I think is sort of the puzzles that are going on in, in his head is how do we get them? How do we get the team high? Which is something that I think we we seem to be struggling with over this preseason. Obviously, can't draw too much from that yet, but once we once we get the team high, I think you can still see the same as we had different ways of doing it last season, particularly with the counter press. It's now with even before losing the ball, just being being so secure in those environments. And it's interesting because in a way, I mean, you could probably say that he is, and I know you probably really wouldn't say, but he is, um, Trossard is a stand-in for for Havertz, who's, who seems a very, very different player. Um, what have you kind of thought of Havertz's performances so far? Yeah, in the left eight. Uh, yeah, so this has obviously been the main talking point on, on this podcast and uh, further. Um, I think... So what have I, make of, what have I made of Havertz's performance? I think to start with, simply that he scored two goals and they've both been quite similar. Um, positioning himself at the back post is pretty cool and pretty notable as well because there will be times where people will be talking about his performances as he's done nothing and stuff. And then he'll pop up with a goal like that, which, you know, there's you can say loads of things about that, but a goal is a goal and I think he'll get loads of them. Uh, I think he'll get more of them this season than, than Shaka did as part of that, uh, when, when Shaka was playing that left eight role. And I think increasingly we're looking in the area of marginal gains and Havertz for me qualify, or the use of, of Havertz 
qualifies as that in, in the box. Um, I also think he typifies how this midfield is evolving. I think we've kind of been forced to evolve the midfield. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, have we made the right moves this summer? Was it, have we been over zealous with our transfers and stuff? I think we were kind of forced to because of how integral Shaka was to us last year. And Shaka's departures forced us to, to change midfield dynamics. Um, I guess some of us had queries about Shaka playing in that role. Um, because we were sort of projecting, you know, what might he do given we, given the knowledge we had of, of Shaka's usage. And I, I'm not sure whether we have more answers after four games. I think a lot of what we saw Shaka do in possession was similar to Shaka. Sorry, Havertz was similar to what we saw from Shaka in terms of shuttling down, recycling. And on a macro scale, I still don't want to see Havertz do too much of that. At the same time, I think it's important to comment on how he typifies particular um, elements of our tactical evolution. And some of that is him joining the front two, um, pressing in a 4-1-4-1. So one of the things we talked about was like what happens with Odegaard and Havertz, who drops into the second line of the press and sits next to the six. And sometimes the answer has been, well, no one, we're going to press in a 4-1, press high, force a long ball and win that first and second ball. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm still intrigued as to how we will use Havertz next season, whether we'll use him in a different position, not that we should give positions themselves too much weight. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still, I guess I still have as many questions as I did at the beginning, which is kind of infuriating. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm the same. I haven't drawn too much about what to expect from Havertz yet. I, I know yourself and Manus, friend of the pod, um, have, have very different views on, and, and Seb actually, I think, as well. They're very set on him being a midfielder. Arteta said he's a midfielder, therefore he's a midfielder. And he has played left eight, basically the role Xhaka would have played, obviously with tweaks, as you said, to, to adapt to the profile. And then you're more in the, in the, um, of the opinion that it'll ultimately be a striker. Do you not feel like this is sort of at least shown that he is going to be an option in the left eights a lot? I do. I do. And you spoke about him adding marginal gains there in the box, which I think is, is a pretty uncontroversial thing to say. Um, at least compared to Shaka, right? But do you think it's actually worth it overall? I think we, personally, I think we're going to see him in this position a lot. I'm not too da tied down on whether it is a midfield position or an attacking position, because ultimately it, it's the link between both. And I think the fact that we've seen Trossard play there, the fact that we're going to see Smith Rowe play there, sort of adds into this idea that it is this link between the two and it's just dependent on what type of player you want there. I think someone who will be a play driver, someone like Smith Rowe, whereas Trossard will be that pocket player to link things. And then Havertz is more of that like space interpreter, um, not to get mocked by people who think I'm not deciding different types of eights again. But this is, yeah, that's sort of my idea of the role is that it doesn't really, at least to our tête, it's not about it's an offensive role that has to do defensive duties, but I think he saw that for Xhaka last season in any case, more so than being a controlling role that something like Uruga or Rice will have to do. I think as well, we'll see 
Um, cause, cause one of the reasons I didn't like slash don't like Havertz as that left eight is cause I don't think he offers enough there. Um, I think with lesser angles, I don't think he has the running power that say Chaka gave you as an off ball threat. Um, I don't think he's sound enough in his decision making when facing play from the left, even compared to Shaka. Uh, I trusted Shaka to receive there with lesser angles and given sort of his feel for space and time on the pitch to circulate or to, to make the, the right movements. And I still feel that way. That being said, I do think Havertz is a viable option there. I think these four games probably do prove that fact. Does that mean that I don't have those worries? No. Um, I think instead we'll ad- completely like adopt a different approach when Havertz will play there. And I think a good example is the goal that we scored against the MLS All-Stars when Jorginho scored the pen and it came from a Ramsdale long ball to Havertz um, who won the first ball. And Shaka. I mean, that wasn't a particular strength of, of Shaka's last season. Um, I don't think we have the same retention in the middle playing Havertz there, but I think, I guess that's the trade-off. I think we'll come back to sort of the versatility in midfield, but you spoke about Ramsdale going along to Havertz. Do you think, I mean, that that's something he's been doing a lot preseason, more so than he was last season is going along. Do you think that that's a new sort of thing that we're trying to do to, to avoid having these problems trying to build up through the first phase. And obviously, as you spoke about, Havertz now being an option to go long and also having Gabby J as another option, right? Yeah. He's actually someone who's surprisingly good at receiving at receiving long balls. Yeah, exactly. I think going long, there's a number of reasons why we, we go long. One is for the sake of having a different way of arriving in the final third. Um, I think loads of... If, if every team could, they would arrive in the final third as a team, as a cohort, with everyone in the right counter-pressing um, positions and such. Um, that being said, it's so much easier said than done. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why to go long, um, playing Havertz there. Um, and yeah, I guess that's one of the ways Arteta is very different from Pep. I, I, we, I still kind of hear to this day about the peppification of Arsenal and how we're kind of just a carbon copy. I think this season, I, I think we saw enough last season to say that's not the case. I think this season will be even more, you know, um, obvious. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think people see similar shapes and even then the shapes aren't that similar. There are some basic principles that I think many coaches, not just Arteta and Pep adhere to, right? Um, but yeah, we are very different. I think one of the one of the things we were speaking about is the fact that um, the way in which they see the means to control a game is completely different. I think Pep is very much about conservative, like these incremental movements, n- not these like big disruptions, but slowly like pulling the team apart and then being able to yeah to get your chance without even compromising the structure at all. Whereas Arteta is very much about having this intensity of this next plan after losing, being so prepared for the next plan, the plan B, to be able to to clamp the opposition and then go again. And then when you've clamped the opposition on that second thing, you've basically set a trap where you can attack them again. Um, 
which I think is, is what we can potentially see. I think adding in guys like Havertz and stuff is, and Rice is, is all about winning these duels. Um, exactly. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's a really worthwhile point that Arteta is much more ready to embrace chaos. And when I say chaos, I mean, um, specifically duels. Arteta's big on duels as we, as we've seen. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and overall chaotic situations and Pepe's who, as we know, doesn't do that or doesn't like to do that. Um, but that Arteta's only comfortable doing that when he's confident that he has the players to do it. And the reality was last season, we didn't have the players to do it. Um, holding, you know, coming in for, for Saliba and we, died by falling on that sword and Arteta has kind of wanted to make sure that's not the case this season um, and then we can embrace that chaos knowing that we have the dual winners the space coverers the pressing unit in the front five to do that this is why I find what we're doing at the back confusing because I mean I already spoke about Saliba being shifted from the the sweeper position and in my opinion I think he's the best sweeping centre-back in the world um, but he was such a, an important part of what we, that sort of plan B that I speak about, maybe if we've lost that 50-50 duel, we have such a good um, defender on the retreat that it's less of a worry. Um, and also not to mention Saliba's ability to decide in the moment whether to push up or to drop off. Um, and now that we're pushing him out wide, it, these are things that really do make it confusing. And obviously I'm not trying to draw too much from it being preseason. Maybe Arteta is just trying him in different positions. I think what we see versus City... And Forest will be far more informative of what is going forward, what 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 the plan is going forward. And I think we could really see Saliba. I I for me, it's more likely that Saliba will be the used as a sweeper, and Gabriel will fall out of the team. Then, yeah. Then Saliba will start being the right centre back, and Gabriel stays the central centre back. Um, so it's going to be an interesting thing to see. The one thing I wanted to touch on, and this is sort of maybe not preseason related, but we've obviously had links to David Raya, right? And I think there's an obvious reason why Arteta would want David Raya beyond um, the goalkeeping coach and him both rating him and what he can do. There's obviously that the reason that I think this will push Ramsdale more. Mm -hmm. But there's that other thing where his distribution from long, and we're talking about going how often Ramsdale's been going long, his distribution from long is incredible. I think Klopp even called him like a, a 10 from goalkeeper, right? But do you think that's maybe something that is at least in the thoughts of of the coaching staff and Arteta for why they'd want Raya. Yeah, without a doubt. It was my first thought. Um, I was really surprised by the, in well, not the interest, but just that we seem to be tabling a bid. I think Fabrizio said that. Um, but yeah, I, I think so. The, I think the idea of going long, we see it a lot with with um, Raya going long to Tony with Mbumo, uh running in behind. I think that was one of the main considerations, whether we're sort of like tapping him up to come as a free agent next year or something like that. I've absolutely no idea. Um, but he's, he's stylistically similar to Ramsdale in that sense. So yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the difference is I think he's better with his long distribution than Ramsdale is, whereas Ramsdale, I mean, we actually haven't probably seen enough from Raya, but Ramsdale is, is quite comfortable um, with shorter distribution. Um, I wanted to move back to I think maybe the versatility, but also what we're doing in terms of our out of possession shape. Cause at least to me, the 4141 has been 
the thing that has stood out the most in terms of how we're trying to, um, yeah, how we're pressing, particularly in the Barcelona and the, and the United games. It's something that we've been doing. Um, maybe moving back to, to habits. I really would have loved to see in the Nuremberg game if Odegaard had started to see if Trossard had been part of the front two rather than joining the middle four of the block of the 4-4-2 or 4-2-4 block with then Trossard pushing up. Um, but yeah, what have you really thought of, of Havertz in that 4-1-4-1? Cause I've kind of liked him. I think he has that big frame to kind of cut off options a lot. I think he's still, he's still learning triggers, um, which is obvious yeah. and, what, and to be expected, but I, I've quite enjoyed him in that role. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's where we're going next season. Um, at least Arteta feels or will feel comfortable deploying Odegaard and Havertz at the same time in a 4-1-4-1. Um, it also links nicely to the idea of, of Rice because you isolate your DM, um, and uh, as the, the second, th- the middle third of the pitch becomes sort of empty. Um, and now you can trust Rice much more than you would be able to say Jorginho or Partey, especially Jorginho, um, covering those distances. But as a whole, I feel, I mean, I've never had any qualms with Havertz's pressing ability from the front. I think he's really good at it. Um, it's just what that means for the rest of the team. And I think one of the answers is we'll deploy a 4-1-4-1 a lot more. Um, but uh, that being said, whenever we are in settled defense, we have to, you know, have that, that middle line of four. And we saw Odegaard step in rather than Havertz. Um, I still have problems with that. Um, I don't think he's steely enough to do it. I also don't think he's that good at, um, covering shadows in that position and, and screen, sort of like screening the back line rather. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think Havertz has performed admirably, um, out of possession. Yeah. I think that there definitely will be problems. He spoke about the, what Barcelona did with their aids, that it will lead to situations where both Havertz and Odegaard will be. Yeah, exactly. If Rice has to push up and one of them drops. Yeah, that's something that I'll, I'll be interested to see, see what happens. I think it might be something that we, a risk we take on. You have to, you know, you compromise in certain areas, but it's certainly a big one, especially if we are going so aggressive with that press. I think, yeah, I think the Barca game was, uh, a funny case study because you have, you had what Gundogan, Pedri and whoever was playing six, was it Romeo or was he there? Yeah. I can't remember, but, but like the idea being any of those players can drop to receive and feel comfortable doing that as the first slash second receiver. So there were times in the game and we, and we talked about this in the lead up to this pod where it was Havertz furthest back and you can do things tactically to mitigate that. Um, those sort of game environments coming to fruition, but sometimes you can't. And those are the moments where you're like, oh my God, like what is happening? Um, even for the Fernandez, not to sort of, um, go on a tangent too much, but even for the Fernandez goal against us, we saw, we isolated Rice and there was a ball out to, I think it was Kobe Minor. It might have been someone else. Um, yeah. And Rice, whether he should have won it, I don't know, but went wide and suddenly you had a massive hole in the middle. Um, and I, I it's fine. I, I feel much more comfortable pressing in a 4-1-4-1 when Rice is that player by himself. 
Um, but it's wet and, and it's why I ex- kind of expected what I said at the beginning of the summer, because I thought that second midfielder would be able to cover ground. Um, and neither Havertz particularly, and especially not Odegaard. That's not what their strengths are. Um, so yeah, there are, there are pros and cons. What have you thought of Rice in, in general, but in possession particularly so far? I thought, I thought he struggled to be expected. And I think something that will also need to be expected for the season is going to take a while to, to know what to do in possession. But I thought he struggled quite a bit, um, particularly versus United. Yeah, I agree. I think what we've seen all of about 90 minutes of him, I think I'm right in saying, um, 60 minutes off the bat against United and then half an hour or so against, yeah. Um, I thought just to start briefly with his cameo against MLS All Stars, I thought that was good. Um, there are a lot of memes about him only passing backwards, but like, come on, he's a DM. That's what you're meant to do. Um, that being said, there was hardly any pressure on him. It was just, um, sort of get, get into grips. Uh, yeah, against United, I agree. I think he did struggle. It's just, we've talked about this before, but he's really good with the ball, evading a press when he's facing play and has trouble with it when he's not facing play. Um, and he has to receive with his back to goal. Um, yeah. Uh, and who, who partnered? It was, it was, uh, Timber that partnered him, who again doesn't, is sort of in the same boat. He's much better carrying or passing when facing play. So I wasn't surprised at all. Um, I am intrigued to see who partners Rice when Rice plays. Uh, I wonder if it will be, I think it will be, I think we'll see a lot of Zinchenko Rice. I wonder if it will be part, Partey Rice as well. Um, but yeah, I think the long and short of it was he struggled in those environments. There have been lots of thoughts that, um, that it'll be Timber Rice a lot because that suits Rice's general, you know, the left corridor is, is where he likes to carry down. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not sure I'm as convinced by that anymore as I was just seeing the way in which we're using him and the way in which we're actually building and spacing across the back in general. Um, the one thing I was thinking, though, is maybe, and again, I, I do feel like I'm taking too much, even though we said at the beginning of this part that we will try not to take too much from these, these preseason games. But, you know, it's fun to do, so why not? I'm wondering if we're going so we're practicing going long so much in preseason is because it's how we're expecting to start the season. Particularly, I think Rice is a nailed on starter from the from the start of the season. But I think we can see now already he's not that comfortable, and he's definitely not an asset in possession yet. And maybe we'll not that it'll take him forever, but it will take him a bit to kind of gel into the role. And having yeah, not just because we have habits up top, but also. And maybe Zinchenko out of the side currently, right? I'm not sure he's going to start the season with us. Um, you know, maybe we're going along to kind of ease into the first few games of the season before we we start moving towards building out a bit more short. Yeah, I have I have no idea when Zinchenko is expecting back, but the idea of periodizing these things is not something that I thought about, and I think probably holds some weight. Um, but yeah, as I said, so much of football is the whole team being in the final third. And it's like, how do you do that? Well, you become really good in tight areas or you get players who are really good in tight areas and 
good at passing in blah, 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 the Guardiola way, or you're like, okay, we'll hoof it long, win the first ball. If we can't win the first ball with Havertz say in the air, well, guess what? You've got Rice bombing on who will win the second ball and suddenly you can consolidate um, territory together. Um, so I agree. I think part of going long is goes hand in hand with the Havertz acquisition, but also the Rice acquisition. Absolutely. Um, anything more you want to say there? Nothing off the top of my head. A small thing I noticed is that we obviously do build out very short when Jorginho is playing. So as we've kind of spoken about, it's very player-dependent, the tactics this season. And not to say that the, the tactics weren't player-dependent last season. We had a very consistent starting lineup. Um, yeah, I think one thing that stands out to me is that we there's a good chance... I mean, we could be, yeah, there's a good chance that obviously Arteta settles on a relatively consistent starting 11 from the start of next season, but there's also a very good chance that he's trying to change things up every game, and I'm not really sure which way I see this going, um, if he's going to tinker with the team, which is completely different to what we've seen in the three and a half years he's actually been with us. Um, Yeah, how consistent do you think we're going to be <laughs> in terms of our tactics next season? The shorter answers, I just don't know. Um, a hallmark of Arteta's tenure has been kind of having that first 11, especially last season, um, having that first 11 and sticking. It almost, people likened it to Klopp and understandably so, where he trusted that 11, he trusted the dynamics. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the, one of the common themes in recruitment and transfer strategy as being getting versatile players um, and in that vein it can give him the license to rotate while still being comfortable with those rotated players um, so yeah I, I think we'll see a number of different iterations of Arsenal next season um, depending on who plays that's a very generic statement um, that kind of goes without saying but I think there is there's been proper thought into players' weaknesses and strengths. Um, and as such, I, I mean, I, I think we'll see us set up in a number of different ways. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. And I, I remember actually had this conversation with John McKenzie, friend of the pod, where he his big concern with us is that, yes, we were adding new profiles and allowing ourselves to play in different ways, but without actually adding appropriate backup to the positions that or the roles that we already had for example we don't really have another option for Zinchenko if we want to have another inverting player we can maybe in Kivio but he's not going to invert like Zinchenko does so the team has to shift accordingly or we then yeah. we then use Timber who is maybe the most likely of our fullbacks to be able to replicate um Tien, not Tien, Zinchenko's role though in a different way so the point he was making is that it leads, it lends itself to so much shuffling just with one change doesn't, you know, one change necessitates another change if you want to balance things yeah. out, which is is something that at the time when we had this discussion, I think maybe I thought he was going too far with it. I saw his point, but I think I also saw the need for us to um, tactically verify how we can play as more important Verify, very, yeah. very, 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 that word, how we play, 
But um, but yeah, I think seeing it this season, like just the different roles, we've already spoken about what happens with Saliba, what happens with Gabriel, what happens up top is is another thing completely. That that is one of the the questions that I had going in to preseason mm. of these four games, and that I've come out having more questions than answers. I think. Yeah, I think that's another common theme: just having more questions <laughs> than answers at this point. Also, uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a good point. It's when you do when you get players in um, via transfers. I think there's a tendency among fans to look for like for likes and for good reason because then you can consolidate the way you're playing Um, and in different positions slash roles I think that's just really important Um, I think one of the problems with Potter teams for example or one of the apparent problems was the fact that they changed on a week-to-week basis because they lacked that like fundamental tactical identity the pillars of the team Um, at Chelsea sorry yeah because he was able to do it with with a in quotation marks smaller team in Brighton but it's whether you can do that at the top level Um, so I I guess the point is whether you can maintain some of the pillars tactically that enable you to look the same on a week-to-week basis do the same things while adapting some of the other various um, adjacent as it were cogs in the system so that you don't look like a completely new team depending on who you play, but also that you can not do what Ateta did last season, which was expect a new player to do the exact same thing as the old player. Um, so it's it's about treading that line, I suppose. Yeah, I think it, I think the Potter point is interesting because at least my reading of where it went wrong for him at Chelsea is partly changing it up tactically every week, but also not having enough time with the team for, sure. to, for them to understand the intricacies of what was expected with them. So they, they could still offer different things in those roles, but in a way that complements the overall system. And I think maybe those are things that we need to see. Um, for example, Saliba is playing a different role, at least to my eyes, defensively now. There, there are slight tweaks, right? But in a way that he is still able to understand where he fits in within the system and offer different things to the role he plays there. Um, Tomiyasu playing slightly different role than we've ever seen from him at left back, still understands kind of what he needs to do there. Whereas with the new signings, I think Timber, I've been impressed by Timber, but he does also seem like he's all over the place a little bit still and he, not necessarily playing the right passes despite coming to the club with a reputation for being very tactically intelligent, which I'm sure he is. I think it's just a familiarity thing. Same thing with, with Havertz pressing, same thing with Rice being uncomfortable under pressure, um, not knowing where to make the passes. So it'll be an interesting thing to see how we kind of um, move forward. And I do think it, it might take a bit of time to see everything fitting together. And I guess the main question then is, will there be enough consistency um for us to have in terms of who we're putting out week on week yeah, to gain exactly. that sort of rhythm. And, and yeah, rhythm is a, is a good one as well because we talk, again, not to link everything back to City, but such is the case when <laughs> you're challenging a <laughs> behemoth. But the, the pepification of discourse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the things that Dave or, you know, Pep feel comfortable doing, feels comfortable doing 
in squad building is having 70 to, to 18 players, um, sometimes even less, that he trusts and he can rotate because they all understand the system and they all understand playing one to two to three roles sometimes. Um, and now we have 23, 24, 25 players who we can think of in as part of the, the, the starting 11 or, you know, some starting 11s. Um, all really good players. And I think intuitively fans will think that's really good. Um, and having loads of options is really good. Don't get me wrong. Especially when compared to last season when, you know, we were forced to play holding. Um, so there's that, but then there's also like trimming the fat, having, you know, what happens when Tierney doesn't play for four or five games. And then suddenly there's a matchup where we're like, okay, we'd like to have Tierney. Um, high and wide but then he kind of struggles because he hasn't got the requisite yeah. you know rhythm um, and I think he's the best example of a yeah. player in our squad who struggles with that yeah I think this covers a lot of what we've seen in the four games so far I think maybe some in more depth than others parts of what we've seen but there is so much to go through I think we've done a sort of good roundup but maybe to before we can discuss one or two players that we've been impressed by or have thoughts of overall tactically, what have you liked, disliked from what we've seen most? And what are you maybe expecting to be a theme, not only of preseason, but as we're going into the season, what are you expecting to see? Um, in response to the second question quickly, I have no idea and it's really <laughs> annoying me. Um, and in response to the first question, I think a lot of what I like, it's, two sides of the same coin I, I felt on a like control obsessed level where which is just like how stressed am I on on a scale of one to ten when watching Arsenal there was a lot initially I didn't like while watching and re-watching the preseason games which was basically we I mean we talked about it um a bit embracing the chaos um not building incrementally but doing so really quickly, um, which is essentially not having Zinchenko, which does make sense when you think about it. At the same time, I'm really, ex I I'm completely aware that these four games were, was just basically a space for Arteta and co, the coaching staff to experiment. Um, and I liked the idea that we'd be much more, I knew that Arteta was, was, going for tactical variety next season um but not to this extent or not to the extent that it's sort of manifested already and i don't think we'll be this quote-unquote chaotic I'm not, i don't think i'm articulating it too well but i do like the idea of us being i think the best way of putting it that i can think of i guess is we were really good protagonists last season and i think we can be really good antagonists this season as well yeah, no, I think I think there's definitely something in that where you speak about the variety or tactical variety that we've seen and the what we were expecting. I mean, yourself, myself, and Manus were were on a pod what six weeks ago where we where we spoke about through the reconstruction of midfield what we were seeing what we were expecting to see be different, and that was a lot, especially with players like Havertz coming in. But what we've seen is that at least in preseason, and we'll see if this is something that actually carries through. But I think even the way we've been building up, we spoke about it earlier, 
right? Rather than that sort of slick, quite vertical, well, compared at least to Pep, who we've been speaking about against our whole half of this pod, um, quite a vertical way of like, and slick, moving through the thirds, right? To now something that is kind of a little bit more like, Janky. Interpretive. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I wanted to be nicer about it, but that feels very much like sitting outside the block, trying to find someone to drop, and then that acting as a lever for other players to move forwards rather than this positional way where people are pinning space, creating openings and angles to access, um, staggering movements and stuff. It's it's a it's a different way in which we're doing all of that. Um things that I am excited for, I think the four one for one, has a lot of promise if we can get it right, especially with the personnel that we have. I think someone like Rice, once he gets up to speed, can absolutely dominate that. I think Saliba is someone that can be very good at judging what he he needs to do in those sorts of situations. Um, so I think that that offers a lot of promise if we can get it right. Obviously not something we'll do every game, but see more often. That's something I'm looking forward to. Because it also compels one of the backline to step up more often than not because you have Rice alone. Um, so there'll be, I think, and Timber gives you that. Yeah. Um, Timber's really, really, really good at, kind of like I said, at arriving in duels and winning them. Um, Gabby's comfortable stepping, uh, Gabrielle's comfortable stepping up sometimes. Um, um, any players that particularly impressed? Um, I think the first one that comes to mind um, is probably a testament to him and his performance, so we haven't mentioned him because we'll never have to worry about him, is Saka. Um, he was he was just so good. Um, there were a number of times or a number of stretches throughout the matches where he wouldn't he didn't see the ball for like five, ten minutes and then we'd lump it his way and then we'd just score and I've almost become numb to that happening because it's like, I don't know, there's part of me that just expects it. Um, but I think I counted four or five of the 11 goals that we scored were from targeting him as sort of the, the playmaker or the focal point out wide. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's so good because of his frame, because of the way he uses, he utilizes his steps and his body and stuff. He's so good at, um, keeping the ball, not losing it. And then, yeah, doing something with it. Um, so I guess I guess Saka is the one that that stands out. Yeah, I think alongside Trossard, he's been the mm-hmm. the standout performer of the of preseason, um, and it kind of gives me confidence that he's going to step up a level this season. Um, beyond him, I think Tomiyasu's been quite impressive. I'm quite excited to see what he can do again. I actually think he's really nice in possession, high left, which is something that. I didn't really expect. I think he's always been quite safe, um, high rights, and he can sustain pressure. Um, but obviously, it's always with that conservative pass in back and then being prepared to receive again. Whereas on the left, he was actually quite creative, even. I think with the switches he was playing sometimes, with the way he was driving in midfield, with the angles he was finding forward. Um, so I'm quite excited for him to potentially have a, a bit of a, um, what's it called? Renaissance. Renaissance. I was going to say Remontada, but yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, there was even that one moment where I think it was, we were we were squeezing Barca onto the side. We've been doing a lot of that pressing as well, really aggressive onto the flanks. Yeah. And they tried to play a switch. Obviously, very good players 
who can still play those sorts of balls out of pressure. And Tommy um, jumped up from sort of the back three, covered a lot of ground and stole the ball out of the air to basically, again, lead in an attack. And I think if we are going to play this game where there's the sort of Ve- like space in the middle, right? And so it's packed on one or two sides. You do need players like that who have the height, who have the mobility, who have the awareness and the ability to react. Yeah. Um, and uh, the technical security, you know, to once it's in under control, to really turn those things. So I think he could be really important. Despite part of me feeling that it could be, you know, not him leaving the season, but being really the forgotten man in our our backline. Yeah, definitely. I think he's he's really proficient, as we know, in duels as well, um, which is another recurring theme. I don't know how I feel about him covering a lot of space, um, just in, in terms of injuries as well. Um, I've always preferred him more stationary in the back line. Um, that being said, he can take long strides. Um, he's got really good game IQ. We saw that one movement I think where it was passed out to Martinelli and he made the underlapping run to switch which we tried to do quite a lot on both sides quick switches um, which I did really like um, and uh, yeah the, I guess the thing about him is he can just there's so many things he can do um, to a 7 out of 10 8 out of 10 standard and that's just so important to have in a in any team especially a title winning one absolutely alright with that I think we should probably call it a pod, call it an episode. Where can people find you? Um, on Twitter, I'm still there. If the app is still up, um, <laughs> on X, LX writes one. Yeah, on X. Sorry, on X, on Football X. Um, yeah, LX writes one. Okay, perfect. And um, you can find myself at Alex Furco on Twitter taking a bit of a break from there or from x apologies taking a bit of a break from x at the moment but i will still be there and yeah thank you so much for coming on Lorcan. i'm sure we'll see you soon yeah thanks so much for having me